humanity. Lord, you just you want everyone to know you. You want everyone to walk in your ways. You have a great and beautiful and wonderful plan for their lives, Lord, but we must submit to your lordship. We all try our own ideas and our own reasonings and all these things that we chase after, Lord, and then you lovingly, gently bring us back to you. So thank you tonight, Lord, for your love. You never give up on us. You just keep loving us. So as we sing of this sing this song tonight, Lord, I could. I could just sing of your love forever and forever. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. That can be a deep subject, right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. It's neat to see, though. I think in the book tonight it says, says that I think out of the characters in the Bible, there's like 2,700. Is that right, John? And like 362 of them have to do with women. But we're going to look at five tonight, right? So I'm not going to steal his thunder here, but looking forward to this lesson tonight on women that were uh, a key influence in the Bible. Good evening, everyone. So glad to see you here. Always love to get back in fellowship and learn some more with my family. So this week should be a little better. Last week there was a lot of confused looks because I was nowhere near where everybody else was. So I uh, since put that book on the bookshelf and got uh, the same book that you all have. So we can be on the same page. Study sheets. Yes, Brother Danny. Can you pass those out, please? Sure. So tonight we are going into, like Pastor said, to talk about women. Chapter 2. Women energized by hope. So, what is hope? Anybody? What is hope? Yes. Yes. In Hebrews 11, thank you, Hebrews 11 says, yeah, we're going to work on that, no, Hebrews 11, 1 says, now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's faith, but what is in faith? Hope. So, diving into these five wonderful women here. One thing to point out from, from these women is that their lives give hope to those who have failed and feel that it is impossible to ever go on and please God. Their lives give comfort to those who ache with pain from wounds, sorrows, and hurts that God has allowed to invade their lives. 
Their lives are an incredible source of strength to those who have a long struggle ahead, knowing that God helped them sustain themselves, sustain them, and keep them going fosters confidence that no struggle will ever exceed his grace and power to uphold. So what is so absolute amazing about these five women? They were all women with a mark against them. When we think of Tamar, what do you think of? Incest. What is the first thing that comes to mind when you mention Rahab? She was a harlot. How about Ruth? She was from a a nation that not much cared for, the Moabites. And Bathsheba, her name goes right along with idolatry. And Mary, virtuous to us, but in her day, she was haunted for her lifetime with a shadow of being an unwed mother. So then we'll move over to page 19 and talk about Tamar. And your first question will be here on page 19 the answer it's in the second paragraph on the top page when we talk about these women who were energized by hope in in the remainder of this chapter we will be looking at women who were his beautiful portraits of grace women who were defrauded Defiled, despised, defeated, or determined. Yet all were given part in God's grand and glorious plan. So tomorrow, she was married to an awful man. In fact, in Genesis 38:7, the name of her husband was Ur, E-R. It was Judah's firstborn. He was wicked in the Lord's sight. So the Lord put him to death. And that left Tamar as a widow. And Judah promised as was the custom, that he would get her a new husband. So Tamar put on her her widow's raiment and waited and waited and waited. She was lied to. She was overlooked. So finally, she took matters into her own hands. And those matters led her straight into sin. She played the harlot and ended up through this. She
she bore two sons, Perez and Zorah, one of which is in the lineage of Christ. Tamar was a defeated, she was defrauded of a normal life, defrauded of happy marriage, defrauded of a good name, defrauded of a sterling reputation. But God compassionately looked down at her and said, I have a plan for Tamar. She is a woman of hope, a woman who portrays my plan, a wicked sinner forgiven. I think we can all relate to that one. The amazing grace of God's love. Is something that we see every day when we look in the mirror. Do you have the pain of being wronged or defrauded by someone who promised love and then deserted you? That same thing is an issue with a family member now. They feel wronged because of past experiences or past relationships. And they, they hurt, they're in pain because people who they depended on in their lives have left or walked out. I've seen this plenty of times in both men and women. And sometimes it, it's to the point where because something of this nature happened in their lives, that they defile their relationship with God and get wrapped up in themselves and in the world and forget who their source is. So, make sure there's not another question on this one. Nope, next page. Okay, so then we'll move on to Rahab, which is one of my favorites. Um, I got to do a sermon uh, blessed Hope of the New Year. And she was one of my illustrations I used, or examples I used in that sermon. So if you were to identify with her, you would say that she was defiled. Uh, she, she not only provided lodging, but also gave men a sinful substitute for what God anointed in marriage. In every sense, Rahab was defiled. She was a sexual sinner. She was a member of the cursed Canaanite race. She was a doomed city dweller. She was literally sitting on a time bomb because God's judgment was coming to her city. And all these five women that we're going to go over, look at the sin in which they were in. It was not their end. All of us in this room can say that we were saved out of sin. So with everything that was happening in her life, through faith, she heeded God's warning through the spies 
Stay inside of your house, hang a red cord out your window, and you will be saved. Anybody tell me, and this is the answer for question number two, what does the red cord have significance with or tie into in the book of Exodus? Yes, exactly. Very good. So just as the Israelites were told to put blood over the lintel and the doorpost, the red cord signifies the same thing when she hung it out her window so that the death, the destruction of the city would pass them by. Their family would be saved. Her story is one of the most beautiful pictures of how God saves lost people. She was part of a doomed race, and so are we. Every one of us has a terminal illness. Some people know the name of it. The rest of us just don't know what is going to get us. But one thing is for certain. Death will happen sooner or later. We are all going to die, and the germ that will kill us is called sin. No one gave it to us. We received it. But the cure and the answer is Jesus Christ. We're all part of this world that God is going to destroy. But with a relationship through his son, Jesus Christ, we escape the judgment that comes upon the world. So Rahab, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. A stain past forgiven is the opportunity to love much. A wonderful, loving Savior who forgives much. Amen. Amen. How lucky we are to have a Savior like Jesus. So then we move over on page 22 and talk about Ruth. So Ruth is the despised one. She was of the wrong race. She was out of the wrong family. She was tainted by a bad past. She was hounded by someone else's sin. She was scared by a family scandal. She was plagued by the darkness of a stain. So after a short marriage, Ruth's husband died. And a famine was all around them. One of the sweetest Old Testament stories of grace is Ruth. He reported how he graciously reached down and took a woman from a cursed race, a despised people, and said, You come into my family. Thus a man named Boaz took Ruth to be his wife, and she then, upon the marriage, became a woman of hope. You see the similarities there? 
She was despised. She was cursed. As we have been. But then Jesus paid the price for us. And Redeemer. And through him, we become part of the everlasting family. So upon her marriage to Boaz, a woman in despair became a woman of hope. I love how all these similarities tie together in our own walks, our own lives. When many times we're at the end of our rope, at the end of our lives, wanting nothing but death, and a hand extended to us, and our lives are reborn. On page 23, adversity reveals who we really are. Its fires burn away only what is temporary and leave behind what is permanent. Brother Terry talked a little bit about that on Sunday. And that ties in with how bad do we want it? How bad do we want that relationship with Jesus Christ? How much more do you want to dig and learn and grow and prosper in his word and his truth? And then we move on to the fourth one, Bathsheba. Everybody remembers Bathsheba? So Bathsheba was the lady that David saw bathing on the rooftop of cross. And both of them stepped into sin. It was not all her doing. So she is not the only one to blame. She was not modest in her display, openly bathing on the rooftop. She responded to David's interest in her even though she was already another man's wife. She muffled her heart's warning as God's conviction was upon her. She stifed the various vows that she had made of lifelong loyalty to Uriah. She ignored the fact that God had given her a wonderful husband. She yielded to her passion and the sin that would follow. what did she reap from all that defeat well for one David had her husband Uriah sent to the front lines and killed and then as we read in 2 Samuel 12 16 and 17 the son they conceived on that night of sin the Lord removed from them. It says, David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying 
in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them, pleading that his son's life not be taken. Some people may think that they can do that. No one will ever find out. We can cover our tracks. But the scriptures say that whatever you sow, you will reap. And whatever you whisper in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. How many times, sometimes, regrettably even some people till the day, live a double life thinking that what they do will not be found out will never be known that they can get by playing both sides of the fence playing their belief in God and the rest of the week playing to the world In Matthew 10, 27, it says, What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. In 2 Samuel 12, 12, You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. If your promiscuity remains hidden until your death it will come out in front of our Savior on the day of judgment only ever think if you can hide it from anybody else you never hide anything from our Lord so Bathsheba became a beautiful portrait of God's grace we find in Matthew 1 6 that David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. So God redeemed her. And out of that came a very uh, word biblical um, what became Solomon? So much that, that so much has been that he wrote many parts of the Bible and, and, and Solomon's interesting because of how he goes into both vainness because he asked for wisdom and in that he experienced so much in life the ups the downs the goods the bads that he could write about it. And in the end, what mattered most, with all the women, with all the riches, with all the things that he had. Yeah, exactly right, Dan. So, Revelation 1.5 says that Jesus wants us to know him as the one who saved us and washed us and freed us from our sins. No stain of the past, no sin of youth, no failure, 
in home or marriage is too deep for the God of second chances. That's a common theme through these four women. Don't underestimate our God. Don't put him in a box and don't ever think, which is something I've heard so many times on the streets. You don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. You don't know my history. I don't need to. God does. But I promise you, if you want to know him, he will know you. So the fifth woman we're going to get to is Mary. She was... Oh, I missed one, didn't I? Yes. Uh, question number three. What is the prophet's name who confronts David of his sin? And I put page 23, but it doesn't actually list his name there. You have to know scripture. Nathan. Yes. It does say right there? Oh, see, I missed that. Okay. Thank you, dear. Yes, Nathan. He's the one that was sent to confront David of his sin. And that's another thing, short squirrel. Terry's mentioned it several times. Pastor has mentioned it too. If someone is sent to confront the sin in your life, what's the proper reaction to have? Repent of your sin, fall on your face, or get mad and huffy and proud and tell them they don't know what they're talking about and continue in your sin. Absolutely. He was far from perfect, but when it's brought to his attention, he, he was really saddened at what he had done to God, not only in this instance, but every time it was pointed out to him. I just think it's interesting that he chose... Uh, Bathsheba, whose husband was more righteous than David. And really, which just created the big problem. If it would have just been some guy who wasn't righteous at all, David may not have even found repentance. You know, he would have got away with the sin. You know, but because he was, he wouldn't get drunk and sleep with his wife that night. He wouldn't, you know, betray his men. You know, every time David tried to set something up, Uriah was just too righteous you know, to, to fall for it, you know. That caused him to really be confront, have to confront his sin. Yes, David is a wonderful example. It's a... Sometimes until you come under the full weight of the Holy Spirit, it, it's hard to confront your sin. But I promise you, if that day comes where you're under the full conviction of the Holy Spirit, you will confess your sin very quickly. It's just an overtaking. It's like a, a consuming fire. I mean, it puts you on your knees, and you are sorry that you, you went against God. Yes, yeah, so a separation. He was trying to hide it. Yeah. Cover it up. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly right. What was that? Yes, he absolutely was trying to hide it. So, Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus. What an awesome responsibility. All you mothers in here are greatly, greatly proud of your kids, right? I know she is. All of us are, right? Us, I'm not a, I'm not a white mom. Anyways, um, but even as dads, we're super proud of our kids. But mothers, a lot of times, have that, that special bond that dads can't quite get because they carried the child and they birthed the child. So, how do you think Mary felt? That for one, she was seated supernaturally, visited by an angel to tell her, and three, gave birth to the Savior of all mankind. Heavy. Heavy, heavy. So Mary, she fell in love and was engaged. She was visited by an angel. She received an unusual commission. She supernaturally conceived a child. She faced possible stoning because that was the penalty for fornication. It was not looked upon openly to fornicate out of wedlock. Unlike today. She was scorned by others and falsely accused. But she partook of grace. She rejoiced and said, O God, my Savior. She ultimately became the one through whom the promise arrived in Matthew 1.16. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. A little thing I want to read you about Mary. Although Mary's calling held great honor, it would demand great suffering too. There would be pain in childbirth and motherhood, as well as in the privilege of being the mother of the Messiah. She would first know disgrace as an unwed mother. She nearly lost her fiancé. Her beloved son was rejected and cruelly murdered. Mary's submission to God's plan would cost her dearly, yet she was willing to be God's servant. God knew that Mary was a woman of rare strength. She was the only human being to be with Jesus throughout his entire life, from birth until death. She gave birth to Jesus as her baby and watched him die as her Savior. What an experience. And what a lady, a mother, that she was. and a responsibility that she bore. I often wondered how hard it would be 
for her to be standing there knowing the pain and anguish that she's in, but that what's happening in front of her has to be done. Mm. Rip you apart. So as we understand from these five wonderful women of the Bible that no pain is too great to be healed, no past is too bad to be forgiven, no problem is too big to be solved through Christ, no stain is too deep to be cleansed through Christ's blood, and no task is too great for God's enablement. And that uh, actually I missed another one. Question four. The angel's name who visited Mary. Gabriel. And then those things that we just went over, those five things, those five no's are the answer to number five. Pain, past, problem, stain, and task. Yes, the answer is to number five. Pain, past, problem, stain, and task. None of those are too big for Jesus. And then I want to read this poem. It says it was written by Annie Johnson Flint. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. He added affliction, he added his mercy. To multiply trials, he multiplied peace. When you have exhausted your store of endurance, when your strength has failed, or the day is half done, when you reach the end of your hoarded resources, your father's full giving has only begun. His love has no limit, his grace has no measure, his power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. And then I want to quickly go back to last week in Titus 2. And quickly look at the things listed, instructions for the older and younger women. So just real quick and see how these tie into those five women that we just talked about. 
And this is not in your books because this was in the old the book that I... Yeah. So it said that they would be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine. They would talk of good things and they would admonish others. And young women would love their husbands, love their children. They would be discreet. They would chasten. They would be homemakers, good and obedient to husbands. Qualities that every godly woman should strive to possess. And that is chapter 2. Good time. So I'm going to quickly just go into chapter 3, unless anybody has some more questions on chapter 2. But chapter 3 is a pretty, uh, not super long, but there's a lot of stuff in chapter 3, and there's no way we're going to get through it all tonight. So anybody have any questions on chapter 2 about a godly woman? A lot of the women's movement stuff that has gone on and women and the Me Too thing and women just, you know, trying to be equal. And now we have this transgender thing in sports. And a lot of it is just because women, we just lost our our place, you know. Um, and there's nothing wrong with this working and stuff. I worked. I had to to help raise our kids. But still, you know, and Terry's always been my equal, but yet at the end of the day, he is the head of our household. And I recognize that, and I really strive to take care of him. And I taught my daughters to do that, and I hope I'm teaching my daughters to do, I mean, my granddaughters that too, you know, to know our place. And, and that's one of the things that I see that's wrong with America big time. And, you know, I think that our kids wouldn't be as lost if we did have more moms that just kind of stayed at home. You know, somebody might slap me for that, but I just think that's the case. Amen. And, and men, you know. The nuclear family is under attack. You know, they just, the left wants to destroy not only America, but they, their, their plot to do that is to attack the nuclear family. You know, so, and it's working. But God. But God. We talked about that uh, last week in the, the first chapter, the nuclear family. You would be surprised if you asked people what a nuclear family is. A lot of people don't even know anymore. And as Payne was saying, it goes a long ways. To, and that's what Titus talks about. That's what we talked about some tonight, is to be that example woman has to be an example a godly woman not only to their kids but to their workplace to their friends to everyone around them you're representing God if you call yourself a Christian you're representing God and by gossiping and slandering and doing all these other things that are ungodly you're not setting an example for yourself or for your kids 
And the same thing, Terry briefly touched on it, for men. It's a huge responsibility for men. Huge. Because we are the ones that the household looks up to. We are the head of the household. And our, the responsibility that falls on our shoulders is great. We have to be the, the minister of the household. We have to be the bread maker of the household. We have to be the one who keeps order in the household. We have to be the one where the buck stops in the household. The buck stops with us. We are the head of the household. And our encouragement, the way we walk, everything we do, comes from the one who's the head of us and his word. And that's what we live to strive by. Wouldn't be um, kind of leading towards that stuff if the men wouldn't have dropped the ball. You know, I think it all started back, you know, with a couple of generations ago with the men not properly leading their families, and this kind of caused the women to have to think that they need to go out, you know, and, and, and handle business. When I mean, I know for me personally, like, I was, I put a lot on her back that, that she didn't, she shouldn't have had to, had, to, had to do, you know. So it all kind of started with me, so. Women are, thanks, Brian, very good point. Women are very, very resilient, and women are very, very strong. When God made woman, I mean, he took, he took a lot of that girt and fortitude out of men, and he put it in women. Sometimes women are stronger than men. That's why, yeah, that's why they have the babies. But in, in, in saying that, yes, yes, right, but in saying that, like Brian pointed out, if men drop the ball in the relationship and the men won't wear the pants, the women will step up and put the pants on and take care of their family. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. things have to be passed down to the children you know because I look at Brian and Kara and I'm really proud because they really monitor what the girls can watch on the internet uh, they have parental controls on all their phones and computers and you'd be surprised how many parents don't even do that they just let the computer in internet raise their children and God knows what they're looking at and learning and you know it, it's it has to go all the way down the line Yes. That's right. Just like uh, I mentioned it on Sunday, last Sunday, not last, the Sunday before last. Our good friends, we went to the triathlon to see our, our friend run in the triathlon, and their four-year-old boy asked if Jennifer was a girl. Because of, his, because of the YMCA, because of the babysitters and the daycare and all these things, they're influences, influencing his little four-year-old mind so badly that he has to ask his mom questions like this. I mean, you got to think about the cost. Imagine how many 
There's a, I mentioned the pastor did at lunch. There's a, it's being taught on the West Coast and East Coast, and I'm sure it's spreading, but it, it's, it's a unicorn. Know your sexual orientation based on the unicorn map. And they're teaching this to kindergartners, first and second graders. Talk about warping and destroying the minds of our children. Yes. And, and I got an email today from someone I trust very much that is somebody who's done a lot of research. So if anybody wants the list of all of the ones and yes. the recommendations yes. for who to vote for, the Republican right. primaries, the godly people yep. and stuff, I have that. But just Amen. because it says Amen. Republican on there doesn't mean, doesn't mean no Jack, sir. I'm telling you. And you I bring hope. that up. But God. Well, Terry was already hitting on points uh, for next week. Television's one of them. Um, and we'll talk about men. And no. no. Um, but we'll talk about uh, influences on our families and our kids, influences on ourselves, and how to be a godly man. In everything that you do. So, um, Brother Dan, would you dismiss us, please? Excellent. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this evening and enjoy the wonderful teachings that have been brought down about the women that were involved in the lineage of your dear son to make them known and to make them understand that they are part of the redemption is for us all we need this Lord we need to understand it and we need to spread it and let other people know with the strength that you provide as it is whispered in our ear we shall scream it from the rooftops we thank you for this time of fellowship. We thank you for this time of learning. And we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.